So I, uh, as I was preparing uh, this message uh, for us tonight, I'm going to be focusing on uh, chapter 3 of Colossians, and uh, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, verses 12 to 15, and uh, we'll be talking about putting on the new self and uh, as Christians and how we are to live, and I know that I'll be preaching to the choir tonight, but uh, I think there's a uh, there is some things that uh, here that I think we can glean um, for our, uh, that can be beneficial for our own lives. So, uh, before we begin, we'll uh, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we uh, open Your Word tonight, uh, we just uh, come before You and ask that by Your Spirit You would uh, guide me. Um, I pray that uh, um, as you, you would use me to be a mouthpiece for Your Word that it would be edifying and glorifying to you and also to, uh, by your spirit, that you would work in each of our lives. And so we just uh, ask for your blessing upon this time now. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so here in chapter 3, Paul is writing uh, to the church at Colossae. And uh, uh, it starts uh, off talking about putting on the new self. And I've titled this uh, message tonight, Living in Holiness. Because as they're continuing with our theme um, this year on holiness, the holiness of God, um, I've just taken, I wanted to take a look about what is holiness and how does that, um, how it all encompasses our lives and the way that we live. So that's where I'm going to be going. And according to uh, Webster's Dictionary, the word holy is defined as having a divine quality or being sacred. And in today's culture, uh, we might define it, you know, the person on the street might define it as a moral way of living. However, in the Old Testament, the word for holy um, did not only refer to a moral way of, of living, but also to cities and to things and to places. And there were holy cities such as Jerusalem, that we uh, read about in Matthew 4, verse 5, the, uh, which reads, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him up on the pinnacle of the temple. And uh, secondly, there were holy vessels, as we read about in Second Kings uh, 25, 13 to 14. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord and the stands and the bronze sea that were... Um, in the house of the Lord, and the Chaldeans broke into piece, in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon. And they took away all the pots and the shovels and the snuffers and the dishes for incense and all the vessels of bronze that were used in temple service. And thirdly, there were holy places that we read about, uh, as well as in Hebrews 9, uh, verses 1 to 3. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and the earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was the second section called the most holy place. But the focus tonight is not on things or places that can be referred to as being holy, but rather to living a life that is holy and pleasing to God. As we read in uh, my favorite verse, Romans 12, verse 1, 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. If you're married, think about that time when you stood before a group of witnesses and made a promise, a covenant promise to your wife or to your husband, a commitment to be set apart uh, for one another. And as a believer, or as believers in Christ, the same can be said of the time in your life when you entered into a new covenant relationship with Christ. For you see, you, uh, you simply can't make a vow to Christ and then just go on to treat him any old way you want. Um, we read in Romans eight thirteen to 15, So then, brothers and sisters, or brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here in verse 13, Paul tells us that we are to put to death the deeds of the body. And what we need to do is to strive to work out our salvation on a daily basis with fear and trembling, as we read in Philippians 2, 12-13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we need to live a holy life. We need the prompting of the Holy Spirit to remind us of our sinful ways and to repent of them and to seek to obey the Lord. And when true holiness begins to take root in our lives, it does not make us judgmental or unbending, for that's known as legalism. Holiness itself actually will manifest itself in our lives when we seek to follow God and to treat others with grace, pleasantness, and goodness. Now, you may think that rising to you know, a level of holiness can be difficult because we do fall into temptation and sin at times, and it's not pleasing to God. But remember that this, that Christ died for our failings and sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we are able to resist temptation and sin and walk toward eternal life. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and hold fast to those truths that are found within it. And the, the pathway of holiness comes about by thinking upon all that Christ has done for us. And I have said it more than once, and I believe that Paul Montgomery mentioned it as well, maybe on a, a Wednesday evening at prayer meeting, that the more we contemplate on the attribute of God's holiness, the more we will see ourselves as uh, or, or we will contemplate, or sorry, the more we'll see ourselves as falling short because of our sin. And as believers, we undergo a process of sanctification. 
when we contemplate on what Christ has done for us and the blessings that he desires to pour out upon us. The first being the mercy that he poured out as he bore our sins upon the cross. So reflecting on God's holiness should have an effect on how you live your life. So now we're going to turn to Colossians 3 and uh, verses 12 to 15. And as we read here about the new self uh, for those who are in Christ, uh, I'll read it here. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, you must all do also. And in, in addition to all these things, put on love, which is, perfect, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. So that's quite a list. And uh, I want to go through, take a look at each one just, uh, just briefly. So let's first look at um, compassion. And we have many examples of compassion in the Bible. Uh, during his uh, years here on earth, Jesus went about doing good. When he encountered the needs in individuals or the multitudes, his concern motivated immediate action. He fed, he healed. He taught, calmed troubled seas, cast out demons, and he even raised the dead, or people from the dead. And our God is all-knowing, loving, patient, and powerful. He sees our needs and hears our cries to those who call upon him. And because compassion was central to uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, we may speak of it as a primary um, ethical virtue of the Christian life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, I'll quote him, If we want to be Christians, we must have some share in Christ's large-heartedness by acting with responsibility and in freedom when the hour of danger comes and by showing a real sympathy that springs not from fear but from the liberating and redeeming love of Christ for all who suffer. Mere waiting and looking on is not Christian behavior. The Christian is called to sympathy and action, not in the first place by his own sufferings, but by the sufferings of his brethren, for whose sake Christ suffered. Secondly, uh, we read about kindness. And the verse stated in um, Ephesians 4.32 is a concrete example of how Paul, through God's wisdom and spirit, encouraged us to be kind to one another. And the verse reads, Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So true kindness is spirit-produced. It's an orientation in our hearts toward other people even when they don't deserve it and don't love us in return it makes it hard and god himself himself is kind in this way his kindness is meant to lead people to repentance which we read about in romans 2 3 and 4 but
Do you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet, and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? So kindness is a lifestyle. It's a daily practice and it's a choice. As Christians, we are to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and kindness. And growth takes time. So what does biblical kindness look like? It looks like Christ. Not for just a season or for a day or whenever we feel like it. Kindness is for every moment of every day. It's a habit, and it's a lifestyle, a continual practice. It's intentional, taking time and giving of ourselves. Next comes humility. And I have two quotes to read as they relate uh, to humility. First, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. So true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. That's from Rick Warren. And secondly, the greatest lesson in life is to know that even fools are right sometimes. You want to guess who said that? It's Winston Churchill. That sounds so much like him, right? So, the greatest lesson in life is to know that even fools are right sometimes. <clears throat> Humility in the Bible is presented as the, uh, as the practice of meekness, obedience to God, respect of self and others, submissiveness and modesty. People with humility put others' needs before their own, sacrificing the love to others. Christ himself took on the characteristic of humility when he said that even though he is God, he did not count equity with God as we read in Philippians 2, 3 and 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equity with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we live uh, here in a country that's free from many hardships that others face on a daily basis around the world. War and hunger and poverty and danger and disease are all just about a few. And don't for a minute think that we are deserving of such blessings that are bestowed upon us because of uh, 
or due to our own riches or our own intellect or our own strength. For these can be taken from us in just a moment of time. But recognize that the blessings come from the Lord and not from our own doing. Continuing on in verse 12, here in chapter 3, we have gentleness. Or as the ESV reads, is meekness. Now, meekness can be described as being patient and not getting easily angered or frustrated. Meekness is one of the fruit of the Spirit that often gets lost in today's culture because of our aggressive, self-centered society. The Hebrew word for meek is anu, which refers to someone who is afflicted or bearing a heavy burden. It is largely an explanation about the circumstance that someone is willing to endure rather than a state to succumb to. And a great example of this, uh, of someone who lived this virtue, was Moses. For instance, Moses never complained to God about the grief that Miriam and Aaron uh, caused him. He simply chose to bear the burden. His, Moses' meekness, uh, meek disposition was also evident in Exodus when he was literally wearing himself out trying to help everyone solve the problems. In spite of this, he never complained or, he, or even gave thought to how it could affect him personally. Hence, Moses' meekness wasn't a character of timidity or letting other people run over him. On the contrast, it was a powerful demonstration of disciplined strength beyond what most people could endure. Meekness is not the same as weakness. Meekness or gentleness always uses its resources appropriately, unlike out-of-control emotions that are often so often destructive and have no place in your life as a believer. Jesus is our example of what it meant to show meekness. In Matthew eleven twenty nine. he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. As a Christian, show meekness by being gentle in your words and your actions, not getting easily angered and forgiving others, and letting go of resentment. And next we come to patience. The Oxford Dictionary defines the word patience this way. Able to wait for a long time or accept annoying behavior or difficulties without becoming angry. Hmm. A real test of my patience is driving on the 401 in Toronto. With others cutting you off, no signal light, just do it, hanging off your rear bumper by mere inches, that just gets me going. I just have to prepare myself for it. But anyways, we read in uh, Psalm 37, verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. I'll have to remember that the next time I'm in a traffic jam. Do not get upset because of one who, who is successful in his way because of the person who carry or because of the person who carries out wicked schemes. And the psalmist here is not speaking of physical rest, rather it refers to spiritual rest from worry and stress 
and useless human effort. In the Old Testament, God promised the people of Israel life from uh, uh, sorry, a life of peace in the promised land and rest in his presence. In Exodus 33:14, the Lord replied, "My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest." But this restful, peaceful living depended on the Israelites remaining faithful and obedient to God alone by keeping their covenant with them. To those whose hearts who strayed from him, God said they would never enjoy his rest. Uh, Psalm 95, for he is our God and we are his people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, but on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed this generation, uh, that generation and said, they are a people who have gone astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So as believers, we are not um, granted immunity from life's storms, but we have a choice about how to react to those storms. And our tendency might be, able, uh, might be to run around frantically looking for help or trying to solve the problem ourselves. We need to be patient and to wait upon the Lord and rest in his assurances. So next, uh, turn our attention now to part B of, this, uh, of these verses. And it reads, Bearing one another and forgiving one another. And Christ's honor in fellowship is, not, is only possible when believers bear with one another in a spirit of love. Bearing with one uh, one another implies a willingness to endure with other believers despite their differences and frustrations. We are to live in a spirit of humility and treat one another with patience and compassion. We read in Romans 15, 5-7, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant, be, uh, grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus so that with one purpose and one voice you may glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us for the glory of God. So as we cast off the old sinful self and put on the holy attributes of God, we are transformed into his image. We become kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you from Ephesians 4.32. And lastly, we read that in, in addition to all these things, we are to love in a bond of unity. We will never be uh, perfectly faultless in this lifetime, but Scripture urges us, let love be your highest goal. 1 Corinthians 14. Love is the glue that holds us together in spiritual unity. In Matthew 22, 37, Jesus responds to a question about the greatest commandment. And he replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. We, uh, as we allow the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives, we will grow more mature and complete in our love for God and our fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, 12 to 15 that we've just gone through provides us with a blueprint to follow in order to live a life in holiness that reflects Christ. When you see all that our Lord has done for you and what he is doing for you now, even now, you will find it easy to work out your salvation in a way that you treat others. The Christian life, by the grace of God and by the action of God, is an act of life. It's a life that we take part, are involved, and we are working out our, as we work out our salvation. To live holy does not mean to live a life in such a way as to make yourself deserving of the gospel. It means to live a life in a way that your, your life actually reflects the gospel. We will and we do fall short. But I ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. Read the word and to pray. Often seeking wisdom from God. And that will help us to lead a life of holiness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have looked to your word tonight and you have spoken through me regarding how we ought to live a life that's reflected in, um, in Christ. And as we go about our, our days that you have so granted us here on earth, Father, that uh, we would walk in a way that is pleasing and honoring uh, to you. And uh, we do know, Father, that there are days when uh, some of these attributes are, are tested in our lives. But we just pray that by your uh, spirit that you would just uh, remind us of uh, how we are to treat others and uh, that we would be used by you um, to bring others um, to uh, the saving knowledge of of you. So we ask that uh, as we depart now tonight that you would uh, uh, guide us and that we would contemplate upon these words as we go about um, the days ahead in this next week. We ask this in Christ our Savior's name. Amen.